0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Welcome to Free Life Community Church, both campuses, and welcome to those of you who are tuning in online this morning. What a glorious day it is to be... A Christian in the kingdom of God why because every day is it doesn't always seem like it but it is because I know the alternative as do you and so today we begin a brand spanking new sermon series now some people love sermon series and some people don't like them uh, these I think have been different than others that we have done uh, but I I like the practicality of of these messages. I, I am more practical than I've ever been in 30 years of ministry. Uh, and and what that the reason that is, I think, is because we're at a do or die situation here in the world. Jesus is coming soon. I believe that. I believe that we are closer to that happening than we've ever been in the history of humankind. And of course, that's true because we're further along than we've ever been. But I also believe that the things of the earth, the things that are happening, events, are pushing us and showing us that we're, we're just about there. And so, as I begin to think about these, these messages, and I think the next sermon series is going to be just as, just as cool as, as the last two. Uh, but this one is the church that God desires. And we have to think about this, because here's what we've done as a church the church universal we've created a church I think today that's more suited to our liking than his now you know I'm pretty good at making controversial statements but if you allow me I think I can show you at least that it's possible that we've done it you don't have to go far to realize that human beings are rather self-centered would you agree and because we are, we want things our way. Burger King even had a slogan years ago, you can have it your way. I think now they're trying to get away from that because they don't want people to come in. And McDonald's used to say, you know, uh, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, right? Special orders, don't upset us. I think today they kind of do because we've changed. And, and we're, we're, we're less service-oriented the more self-centered we become. Have you noticed that? And it's not just in the restaurant industry. It's almost anywhere. And if it's happening in life, it's happening in the church too, regardless of how much we try to keep it out. And so the church God desires has to begin by remembering our first love. (laughs) You would think that we wouldn't forget what that is. But I assure you, the church will transform into something else if we don't. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Believe it or not, Revelation chapter two. How many pastors do sermon series at Christmas time on Revelation? <laughs> I don't know, but this is where we're going, and I'm just obedient. Revelation chapter two, the first seven verses. Listen carefully to what the Apostle John writes as Jesus reveals it. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those Who call themselves apostles and yet are not and you have found them to be liars I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary but I have this against you don't you just hate the butts you have abandoned the love you had at first remember then how far listen how far you've fallen repent and do the works you did at first that's a pretty good formula remember how far you've fallen repent and do the works you did at first otherwise he says I will come to you and remove your lampstand From its place now there are a lot of people in the Christian church today that would say that would never happen and Jesus just said he's going to do it but that's a sermon for another day he's gonna do so unless look at this you (laughs) repent yet you do have this you hate the practices of the nicolaitans which i also hate not going to get into that today but you'll get the idea of it let anyone he says who has ears to hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers i will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of god friends i could uh, spend literally months here i'm not kidding and what Jesus is talking about here not going to do all of that today but I do think for the practicality and simplicity of things we have to look at the or else the or else because I I tell you the truth I I don't I don't want the or else I'm not interested in missing out on the tree of life is anybody here interested in missing out on the tree of life because I'm not And if the Lord says he's going to remove my lampstand and take away my right to the tree of life, then I'm going to perk up and say, oh, okay, Uh, so what do you have against me and what do I have to do to fix it? And he gives us three things to fix. In our new series, the aim of the Lord, in my opinion, is to help us to take an, an evaluation of ourselves as a church. He wants us to determine, with his help, you know, what we're actually building. (coughs) To determine if we're building the church that he desires, or if we're building a church that we want and feel comfortable with. Did you grasp that? I would dare say, as I look at this, there is an absolute difference here between the church and a church. And I don't think it's that difficult to see today. You can have a church, but it doesn't mean Christ is in the center of it. Amen? But if you're going to build a church that has Christ in the center, then that's part of the church, His church. And there's a difference. There shouldn't be, but there is. And as we begin this series with this first message, we have to understand that the writer of Revelation here is the Apostle John. If you didn't know it, now you learned it. And so he is carried away, John is, in a vision by Jesus himself. And by the way, just so you know, the Revelation was not the last book written in the scripture. A lot of people think that. It isn't true. It was written before the last three epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. How many of you didn't know that? Well, now you do. Now, it's it's the last book he put in there, but it wasn't the last book written. John was a little bit younger when the vision came to him. He was near death and older in exile uh, when he wrote the three epistles, just so you know. And so this is paramount that we take a look at this work that comes directly from the Lord. So Jesus takes John away into a vision. We don't know or understand how that happened. But John basically describes he was carried away in a vision of some sort. And and as he's there, Jesus begins to speak. We don't know how long it was, how long it took, but we know that he revealed these things, Jesus did, through the apostle John to us as a church. And John, when he's in, in this trance or this vision with Jesus, he gets a series of word pictures, which describe to him the things, according to Jesus, by the way, that, get this, must soon take place. Now, our soon is in the next few minutes. God's soon could (laughs) be a lifetime because he's not held to time. But when you begin to get older, you find out that time goes in a hurry. Anybody? It brings new meaning to soon, yeah? And so... He says it must soon take place. Now, this portion that we've read today is one of the letters that he writes to the seven churches. He addresses seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I had to try to give you a little background on Revelation because I haven't taught it to all of you, uh, at least not recently. And, and several of you probably have never studied it at all, or at least not in depth. And so I've got to give you an enough overview of Revelation that you understand why this is important and the message that comes from it. And so these seven churches represent real churches in the time of John that Paul, the Apostle Paul, founded. you understand that? Paul founded these churches and he writes to the churches or the angels of the churches that run these churches. He writes to them these physical churches. But these letters are also written, and describe not just those physical churches of yesteryear, but also churches throughout history. The modern church throughout history. All the way from the time that Paul sets them on the earth, Jesus writes these these letters to them, and then all the way throughout time they're descriptors of the church universal at one point and throughout time in other words churches through time have looked like the description he gives sometimes they did sometimes they didn't interesting isn't it so in revelation we get this what i call a panoramic view where you can see from the beginning when it's written all the way to the present time and into the future. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us when he writes these words through John. And basically, Jesus says that one of these churches, or maybe an overlap of them, describes the modern church then, 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 and even now. And this particular passage is written to the church at Ephesus, which we know quite a bit about. But it also represents the modern church somewhere in time. And I want you to understand that because as I read this, I have found that I believe that this portion of Scripture probably best describes the church we serve today more so than any other letter written To the seven. Which is why I begin here. It isn't that there aren't attributes that the other letters describe of us. Yes, that's true. But this one in particular is the one that concerns me the most. And I'm gonna get to the reason why in a minute. And so Jesus begins here by saying, You've done some things, you've done things well. You've done well at things. We all want to hear that. Everybody does. It's the but that bothers us. You started well, but. He says that you have fallen away from him in general. He starts up by saying, you you started well, but you've fallen away from me in general. And we will look at ourselves and get defensive and say, we haven't fallen away from Jesus. Well, I haven't he's not talking to you specifically if you haven't he's talking to the church in general and if I step back and I take it the church of Christ as a whole and I see some of the things that are happening in our churches the things we're believing the compromises we've made the things we're packaging and saying as Christianity when the Bible says it isn't it's pretty easy to see that we've fallen away from Him in general, because if we hadn't fallen away from Him, it wouldn't happen. That's how it begins, you see. And so practicality, and in-your-face, bold-faced reason, it's hard to accept, but it's also pretty hard to deny. And here it is. And so as I began to think about that, When you fall away from your first love, which is Jesus Christ, even if you don't want to think it's true, here's what happens. You begin to build the church you want, not the one he desires. You follow me? You you begin to do that. You don't mean to. It wasn't, well, I thought it up and did it. But over time, it just evolves that way. And that's where we are. The passage today shows us how the church at Ephesus had drifted away from keeping the main thing, the main thing. That's, that's, he's accusing them. He's saying it. And we can't say, that's not true. If God says it's true, then it is. When he comes to you and says, you've forgotten your first love, you've gotten away, you've done some good things, but you've gotten away from what I told you needed to happen and the things I demanded of you, and you can't say, no, no no we didn't we we don't we don't we don't get to determine that we want to but this is the savior of the universe here this is the Son of God we're talking to that's that's who this is yeah he says you, you you've done it I hold this against you I don't want to hear Christ tell me he's got anything against me and so if he says that I, I need to ditch my pride, right, and step back and say, okay, Lord, talk to me. Tell me. I want to correct it. I want to make it right. Anybody follow me here? See? But the devil says, no, no, you don't, don't, don't listen to that. He's, he's just smoking at the mouth here. You you do what you want. You feel and think what you want. And some, some are going to do that. Because it's more important what we think and believe, even if it isn't the truth. And God says, yes, it is. You need to understand. In this first letter, Jesus, through John, commends their faith. That's a good thing. But then, he confronts their focus. In commending their faith, he tells them they've been faithful in their works, faithful in their warfare, and even faithful in their witness. But then he reprimands them for being unfaithful, get this, in their worship, in their church attendance. And in their church service. Wow. I gotta let that sink in for a minute. And as he confronts their focus, he says that they've done ministry, but they weren't completely surrendered to the master. Uh, we, we can do that in a church today. We could do ministry and still never be completely surrendered to the master couldn't we? Let's be honest with ourselves. And so what happened is their ministry is what they wanted it to be, what they wanted to do, the time that they wanted to give, and not the ministries and the time that he desired from them. I think we're real good at that. I think we're, we think if we can check a box and we do ministry and we give a certain amount of time that we're willing to, that that is what God's requiring of us, and it, it may well not be. Because God knows what he wants every single individual church to do and how he wants them to minister. The problem with it is we pick and choose from a list that we, we've created things we're willing to do or want to do or what we think we can afford to do. Have you ever noticed that? That's not ministry. That's checking boxes. You might feel good doing it. And you might even see even see other churches doing it. But does God call every single church? in every city to do the exact same things some things maybe but not all of them and that's why I've never been a pastor that wanted to to emulate what somebody else is doing I always wanted to have a church of people that would pray together and seek the Lord's vision for our particular group and then go do that isn't that what ministry is and you know you're doing the right thing Because you're using discernment, and everybody is like-hearted and like-minded in your group because you're all praying for the same thing. That God would show you His will and lay out a plan for you and your group. And it's not going to look like the church across town or around the corner. Probably. Oh, we're all in it for the same common goal. But your ministries are going to be different. Amen? They have to be. You see, what happened to the church at Ephesus, they they held on to theology and doctrine that they wanted to follow. But they hadn't remained faithful to their deliverer. They were continuing to minister even in good ways, but they had lost their commitment toward the one they were supposed to be serving. It became a job to them. It became a feel-good. It became a box check. It became all the things that he was afraid it would, yet their eyes weren't here. And it's easy to happen in church. And so this passage warns us to be careful not to love what and how we do for Christ, but <laughs> to actually love him. You can, I think, according to Jesus, love Friends, what you do for him more than him himself. Wow. And so we're trying to be proactive here. These people didn't get that chance. You and I do. And I'm grateful for that. So it's a challenge to do what he says we must, which is remember how we've fallen, right? Repent of our failures and return to our first love. That's what he says, let's do that today. Let's remember how far we've fallen. You know, you have to start well to finish well. The reason that some people never finish well is they never started. <laughs> have you ever had a day when it seems like no matter what you do, everything goes awry? It's, it's, it's bad. I've said, well, this day's, this day's in the toilet. Anybody ever said that? <laughs> it is. No matter what I do, it, it's just bad. I'm not the only one, I don't think. Right? And sometimes you think, I should have never even started. If I could, if I could just go back rewind, or I could just skip this day, I would. Right? I look at the, some of the, the saints in the Old Testament and New Testament, I think they had days like that too. <laughs> right? Right? Days they just like to just soon forget. Should have never started this one. And and I've started things, and I bet you have too, that you wish you would, would never have started. Because now you're in a pickle, and you're in a mess, and you're like, should have never even began this thing. Sometimes it has to do with other people. Sometimes it's projects. It can be a lot of different things. I did that when I started a doctoral program. should have never done this. Because it was an exorbitant amount of work, and I didn't want it. But you feel like a failure and a quitter, particularly if God's called you to it. Yeah? You see? So... You're like, wow, she never started. But here's what I found. You, you have to start, and you have to start well, but you also have to finish well. And you can't, you'll never finish if you don't start, and you'll never finish well if you don't start well. You see. The Lord is clear that the church started well, but for whatever reason, it isn't on track to finish well. And that's a problem. In fact, It's an even bigger problem today than it was when this was written, I think. You see, the Christian life is not just about having a good start, but it's also about finishing. And this is what happens to Christians more often than not. We start well, but we don't finish well. I can give you some examples. I don't really think I need to. I think you know how this can happen because you've seen it, maybe even in yourself. I know you've seen it happen to other people. You know, we we sort of realize our need for Christ. We make a decision to surrender and follow Christ. And for a while, things go great, yeah? But over time, we begin to slack off a little bit, maybe. We begin to forget about what he did for us. We begin to forget where we came from and where we are now. We begin to listen to the wrong voice or voices whether it's from Satan himself and his demonic entity or if it's for other people he's using to do it. Sometimes it's our own desire. The Bible's clear that, you know, the reason you fall is that by your own evil desire you're enticed and you're let out and then you fall. So it happens. Oftentimes we begin to slide back into bad habits or sometimes... We create new ones (laughs) by compromising. And then we begin to spend less time with with Christ and and you know what happens then. It causes us to serve him less when we spend less time with him. Have you ever noticed that? There's a direct correlation between that. The less time you spend with Christ, the less time you end up serving him. Has anybody seen that? Okay. And, And even if it's not less time, you're doing it less efficiently or with the wrong attitude sometimes. And again, we'll go back to checking check-in boxes, even in our service. It's not hard to do. And time, you know, is a huge factor as well, and we're sort of selfish with that. Have you ever noticed you're, we're sort of selfish with time? Does anybody here freely admit you're sort of selfish with your time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, God, God can't can't fix it or help you if you don't admit that you are. And so the saints at Ephesus made this great start. Jesus says they did. They celebrated their works. You know, he, he, he celebrates their labor, their tenacity. He celebrates their moral stance. He did good. It's an boy. Pat on the back. Thumbs up. Good stuff. He even gives a thumbs up to their theological and doctrinal discernment because they were pretty good at weeding out those that were trying to derail the whole thing. That's good. And then he says, "Your perseverance was good too. Hardship came, and you were pretty good." Then they're like, "Oh, good, oh, great." Sometimes, as humans, when we're trying to get our point across, we butter people up with the good things to give them the butt. You ever notice that? A lot of leaders do that. That's not in any leadership one-on-one book I've ever read, but we do it. God is not buttering us up here. He's just acknowledging that you've done some good things. And then he says, but I have this against you. And rather than saying, but but what about the good things? Which we tend to do. We always want to go right back to the focus of the good things, right? Don't we? When you're in a review at your job, chances are the boss is going to talk about the improvement and all you want to do is go back to what you've done well. I know because I've done it. I've been on the other end of it too it happens it's humanity and so he says I'm saddened and angry at how you've allowed your love for me to slip away to lessen and to fall and so when this happened it allowed things to come into their Christianity and it not only watered down their Christianity but it put their salvation in jeopardy. I know that because he says, "If you don't turn away from this stuff, I'm going to take your lampstand. down." Now, friends, if you can never lose your salvation, what do you do with this? Because I sure don't know. This is my point here. And so, the more I thought about, okay, so we have to start. We have to start well and finish well. But the fact is, we we ha- we finish well because we've fallen. You see. You have to understand where you were. You have to finish well because you were fallen. And if you don't finish well, it's eternally the wrong way. You're you're out. And so the challenge that Christ makes for us is to remember how we've fallen and remember from where we've fallen, and we have to be careful not to allow our work, our warfare, our witnessing for Him to come before our worship of Him. Now, I said that before. I want to come back to it. You see, but to do this, we have to remember where we came from and how He saved us from our own eternal hell that we were destined for. I I think of it every day. I really do. Anybody do that? You think about where you would be without Him? Has anybody I know where I was going I know what road and path I was on do you I know and I don't care if you grew up in church with the greatest parents in the world you still had to make a decision your parents couldn't get you there you had to make a decision right I think some people still don't understand that even that's a sermon for another day though okay We've got to get back to our gratefulness toward him. To Remember that without him, we we're absolutely lost and eventually dead. And friends, that's for good. <laughs> you, you die spiritually, that's for good. You, you, you do know that, right? It's, it's eternal. It's gone. History. That's it. Lights out. Game over. There's one you'll remember. Friends, worship of Christ isn't singing songs and feeling good. Now, I touched on this last week, but it isn't. That's what we've made it, but that's not what it is. That's part of your worship, you see. What you're doing right now is part of your worship. Paul says being a good Christian is your reasonable act of worship. Your worship is your reverence of Him. It's your devotion to Him. It's your love for Him. And remembering that Jesus did something for you that no one else could ever do, and then recommitting to Him every single day. Every day. you got to make this decision. And when you do that, it will propel you from starting well to finishing well. Some people... Never get out of the starting blocks. I've seen it before. I've seen Olympians' hopes dashed. When they're in the starting block, they tell them to get set. They get up. They're ready to go. And the, the, the starter hits the, the gun. And everybody takes off. And somebody stumbles and falls. And they're done right there. They can ne- n- these are all world-class sprinters. All of them. You can't get up from that and catch them. You're not going to do it. The, the time between them is so minuscule that you have to do everything right to be the fastest one on that track. It's a fact. But we sort of live life, you know, like we're around in this game, or this thing we call Christianity. We live life like we do around everybody else. You're always going to be better than somebody else. You do know that, right? You're always going to be better. And here's what we'll do. Rather than look at the best we could be, we'll look around for somebody who's lesser than we are and feel good about that. It makes us feel good about who we are. But Christ isn't happy with you. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how much better than somebody else you've become. It, it doesn't even compute, and we're still doing it. And this, friends, is what Jesus is demanding of us. To start well and finish well and give me your best race, no matter what. It doesn't matter if people pass you. It doesn't matter if people are behind you. You run yours. And that's what he wants. Start well and finish well. You see, friends, only Jesus can be your first love. Only only now we we squeezed some other things in there have you noticed that you squeeze other things in there but the fact is it just can't be anything else even the good things in your life it can't it can't be them when you surrender to Christ and you accept him he's it that's he he's at the top every time all the time and you there's some good stuff in your life that you want to put up there I know it particularly the people closest to us, we, we put them pretty high up there. Ask any parent, they'll tell you that. Ask a grandparent; it's even deeper. I didn't, expl- I didn't understand that until I became one. But the fact of the matter is, they're, they're special people. Your spouse, the, these, are, these are special, your, I mean, this is special, I get it. But they, they can't be before him. And there are people doing that. There are Christians doing that. Not that these things are, aren't good, they are. And he gave them to you. But here's the deal, and I want you to hear me carefully here. I'm going to make a statement here that I think the Bible backs up that I'm correct. If Jesus Christ is not your first love, then you are not saved. Wow. I, I, I didn't expect to get an argument. But I think in the back of their mind, some people are going to argue that they're going to say, "Oh, I don't know about that? No." He, 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 it's like he sat down and and he brought you across from him, and he's like, hey, "Listen to me for a minute." He told Peter, "Unless I wash you, you can have no part of me." Friends. If Jesus Christ is not your first love, it isn't my call. He's making the call. Then you're not saved. He has to be your first love and remain there. He demands it. He knows that there's things in your life that are going to demand your love and attention. He knows that. He's not asking you to throw them out on the street. He's not asking you to to, uh, neglect them. He didn't say that. He just said, you can't forget who your first love is, and it's me. And if I'm your first love, you'll aspire to greater things even and receive them too, you see. Now, you would think that this concept should be obvious, but it's exactly what he's saying. If Jesus isn't your first love, of course, you won't remember what he did for you, right? I mean, if he's he's not up there, then you're not going to remember what he did. Of course, you won't put his work first in your life if he's not your first love. You won't. You're going to put whatever demands your intention the most or what your first love is first. That's what you're going to do. We all do it. And of course, you will compromise. In no way do you finish well if he's not your first love. And you shouldn't be surprised. None of us should be surprised. This is why Jesus is warning us now rather than just dropping a hammer, you see. So, here's my question. Do we want to build the church that Jesus wants? Do you? Do we collectively? Do we want to? Yes, I realize that we're not as as large as some of the churches out there, but I'm concerned about this one. Because this one's part of the universal one. Do you want to build the church that Jesus wants? And so, if you do... Remember how far you've fallen and put him back as your first love because of what he did for you. Secondly, you have to, because he says so, repent of your failure. Now, listen, I don't like to admit it, but I fail a time or two. Anybody? Sometimes it's so obvious, and sometimes you keep pushing a bad position, hoping you can turn a failure into a success. it it happens on occasion but not very often sometimes it's better to realize this failure do something else but it's tough to admit see because we don't want to fail nobody I don't think anybody in here got up this morning and said you know I can't wait I'm just I think I'll just fail today (laughs) oh goody can't wait no nobody aspires to that and if you do make an appointment you have depression Okay, so we don't want to fail, but we do, though. It's, it's, yeah? And sometimes you just got to look and say, oh, I kind of screwed that one up. Kind of laugh and say, well, okay. Uh, you know, Edison said what? He found, what, 800-something thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Okay. I think after the second or third, I've been done. Anybody? Yeah. But see, to repent of your failure, repentance... Has to be there, and we don't. I don't think we know what it is, let alone want to do it. But repentance is necessary. It's an absolute. After the Lord says, "Consider how far how far you've fallen," He says, "Repent." Now we have to see a couple of things here. First, the Greek word that is translated "consider" in the NIV, oftentimes also means "remember." So consider or remember that it can be used, it can be translated both ways from the Greek. Okay, so basically. What Jesus is saying is, remember and think about how far you've fallen. <laughs> because if you think about it and know why, then it'll stick better. You ever notice that? So you got to remember and think on, think on that some. And then because you'll understand when he gets your attention, now you want to repent. Because I think sometimes... Lord says, you know, you failed, so I need you to repent. you're like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. Has anybody in here ever said, yeah, 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 to the Lord? Even if you didn't do it verbally? Yeah, 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 yeah. Somehow, whatever you're doing or thinking at that moment is more important than repenting. And he says, no, repentance is, is the first thing you ought to do. Start there, and then go back to whatever you were doing. Repent. You see, repent means to have a change of mind about your sinfulness, about your shortcomings, about your about your failure. It's, it's to have a change of mind about yourself. And some of us needs a healthy dose of that sometimes because we start thinking higher of ourselves than we are. Right? Because that's the defensive. That's our mechanism. We, we become defensive. It's protection. Self-protection. And then... When you repent, it will also, friends, get this, believe it or not, it it will give you a change of mind about your Savior. And that's what elevates him back where he belongs. See, he got shoved down a notch or two, maybe further than that. And when you repent and realize, it, it, it puts him right back where he belongs. And some of us need to do that today. You see, when we repent, what happens is we acknowledge that our thoughts, our actions, and our feelings are wrong. And and get this, they're very much offensive to God. Did you hear what I said? Your, your, Your thoughts, your actions, and your feelings were wrong, and they were offensive to God. I don't know that I always consider whether or not my thoughts and actions and the way I'm feeling is offensive to God or not but I sure do notice it if somebody is offensive to me. Is that, have you ever noticed how, how when someone's offensive to you, you sure do get a hold of that? You, there's emphasis there. But and, and, and we don't like to be offensive to other people. I get that. But what if you're offensive to God? Did you even consider today that you could be offensive to God? Yeah, see, that, that's, that's the big one. man offensive how do i how do i how do i present this so that we get it And we're not defensive about it. We're not closed-minded toward it, because that's that's so humanly easy to do. You know, offensive. You see friends, we ask the Lord for the strength to abandon the sin or sins that we're guilty of and then we decide to never return to them. You got to do that. I think that many Christians in in the modern church today don't realize that not only are our wrong and sinful thoughts and actions offensive to God, but our feelings that are wrong are offensive to God. You, 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 you got to go down this road with me because we are such a feeling per- personality today. That's, that's what society, it's our feelings. And I'm not saying abandon them because we have them. But we can have wrong feelings and they'll be offensive. You see, the reason we think it's okay to have wrong feelings is that we have allowed ourselves to believe that we can't help our feelings. And every psychologist worth their salt will tell you, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. You don't want to believe it because that's your out. That's your crutch. That's your your way to do what you want. Because I just feel that way. And it's really difficult to get people past it. You see, God is clear that this isn't true. You can have wrong feelings, and they'll be offensive to him. And see, this is why our feelings are such a horrible gauge of right and wrong. Do you know that we will, as people will determine what's right and wrong by our own personal feelings? Have you ever done it? You see, our feelings shift so easily and so often. They're almost never a constant. And that's why they're dangerous. The fact is, we might repent if we're convinced that what we've done or thought is wrong, but we won't repent of wrong feelings. Why? Because our feelings are what drives us the most. It's all we've got, we think. More than that, we give ourselves a pass when it comes to our feelings. And this is what makes them so dangerous. Because we likely won't repent due to feelings. And this is where Satan gets us. It's where we feel that wrong is actually right. But the problem is, we can't be restored without repentance. You just can't. And now this passage by Christ demands that we live a life of ongoing repentance and faith. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that it's ongoing. Just as salvation comes to us through repentance and faith, sanctification is also, my friends, cultivated through repentance and faith as well. And God wants you to not just get saved, but begin this journey of sanctification. I mean, He he does. Otherwise, we would all just get saved and never advance in our Christianity. And God forgive us, that's happening in modern church, you see. We're we're not advancing. Because we like where we are, it's comfortable there. And God's going, but, 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 but I want you over here. You, you can be more effective in my kingdom. You can get rid of these things that's been plaguing you. And you can be an example for others to see it too. And, and oh my goodness, what you could accomplish if you would just let me come in and deal with that and get out of it and move here to the next level. And then we fix those things. You go to the next and then to the next. And up you go. I can do it if you'll let me. But I can't do any work in you until you repent. So I can make you a new creation we have to keep and make it a practice to keep our simple desires on a short leash you understand and allow the power of the spirit to remove them from our lives and more than that we have to commit to confessing and forsaking our sins on a regular basis as I've said over and again Many so-called Christians today want to believe that the amazing gift of grace covers everything. The Bible absolutely never says this anywhere. The fact is, we cannot be restored without repentance, and grace doesn't cover unrepentance. You, you, You do get that, right? Grace does not cover unrepentance, unless, of course, you don't know that you need to repent. That's different. We're not talking about that. But I'm talking about the things that you know you should repent and you just won't. But then we'll play another game with ourselves and say, well, we didn't know. And I, we've all done it, friends. I, I, I know we have. And we're going to have to stop thinking and believing that grace covers everything because thinking it should cover it won't matter. It's simply wrong. And God forgive us when we want to follow our own standards or the standards that others might have or put into place just because we feel that way. We're going to be held accountable to that. So we've got to repent of our failures and, lastly, return to our first love. Now, clearly, it's easy to turn our backs on Christ. Even, I mean, I've done it briefly here and there. I've gotten angry. Yeah, anybody done that? Got angry. Now, friends, if it wasn't so, Jesus wouldn't have said that we we started well but we're finishing poorly if we hadn't turned our backs on him or left or left him as our first love then he wouldn't say you started well but you're but you're finishing poorly there's a reason why he says it in fact after the Lord tells the Saints at Ephesus to remember and repent he tells them to return to the first love and clearly that's him he says and do the things you did at first new believers read the Bible they journal right they typically read they journal they pray and they meet with other believers in small groups that's almost a constant because they they want more and more and more of it new believers attend church services regularly they share their faith relentlessly but here's here's a phenomenon i'll never understand unfortunately the longer we're saved the more we cool off and slack off on the spiritual disciplines that cultivate our love for christ Wow. It doesn't mean that we've outright rejected Him, although it, that could happen eventually, but it does mean that we're not with Him like we were at first. Have you ever had a day or a week or a month or maybe even longer than that where you feel like you're kind of distant from God? Have you ever kind of felt like you're, you're, you're not you know, as on fire with and for Him as you were? You see, this is where, this is where it gets. But recognize it is, is, is a big deal, you see. Because that can be fixed. But see, what happens is, rather than recognize it and fixing it, how do we say it? We'll say, uh, well, life happens. (laughs) Well, friends, if that happens, it isn't life anymore. You see the irony of that? Our excuse in almost everything that we fail at is life happens, or stuff happens, or one more colorful word. And maybe that's true, but when when you when you separate from God or when you slack off toward him, and when he's not your first love, all of a sudden you're waning in life now. It's, it's, it's not life anymore. Something's happening, but in life. In fact, you're heading toward death, you're dying. We don't want to believe that, but God says it is. And I think who among us wants to do life without Jesus? I don't. Because that's certain death, not to mention the lack of blessing and protection without him. So why wouldn't we take an inventory constantly of where we stand? Again, feelings aside. You see, friends, you can't love Christ without making life about him. You can't. Now, the Lord calls us to return to those things that help us fall in love with him even more. It's a call to saturate ourselves with the Word of God, to surround ourselves with the people of God, and to submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. That's that's what this whole thing of Christianity really is. And all of these things have to be in the life of a surrendered believer. All of those things have to be in the life of of a surrendered believer who truly makes it about God and not about themselves. Because you're not a surrendered believer if any part of your life is about you. It has to be about him. And all God's ask, asking us today as a congregation is to step step out of this, this mediocrity and come to the next level. That's, that's all I need you to do. Step out and come, come forward. Do you know some one of the toughest things in life you'll ever do is to get out of your pew and come to the altar when you know you need to? That's one of the most difficult things because you're so worried about what other people are going to think. Well, it doesn't matter what they think. Do you know that how you see Christ will determine how you submit to and serve Him? How you see Him will determine how you submit and serve Him. And then, how much you love Christ will determine to what extent you live for Christ. My goodness. And as our worship team comes forward, friends, I I will say this to you. Returning to our first love is easy when we realize we've slipped away. But the biggest problem is believing or being convinced that we have. Because we don't want to think that. We don't want to believe that. And you know, Satan is good. I, I, I I give Lucifer who's become the Satan, I give him his due. I know who he is. But he's not greater than the one I serve. I mean, I know he's i know he's good. He's been doing it a lot longer than me. Deception is his game. I know, I get it. And I know why. I, I know all of those things. But he's good at making us think, friends. And this is perhaps his greatest opus. His greatest achievement. He's good at making us believe that our way is somehow God's way. Now think on that for a minute. And then when this happens, we begin to build the church that we want, not the one He demands. And you can see how easy it happens. And friends, here's the deal. We, we, we can't build His church unless we remember how far we've fallen, until we repent of our failures and Get on the right path with him and then return to our first love. Because you you you'll build any church but his when you when you fall. You'll build any church and none of them will matter. You see, it's not about building a church, it's about building the church. And then stay there. As the Lord tells us in verse 7, whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I and I think may the Lord. Use us, and may he help us, and may we assess our deviation from our first love. Return from our abandonment. Activate our dedication. And then remember how far we've fallen, repent of our failures, and joyfully return to our first love so that we can be the church that God desires us to be. In this way, here's what's going to happen. First of all, you're going to please Christ. You're going to set the example for other churches to be the church that God desires. And that's another factor we got to do. And then it snowballs. So on and so forth. We should never be of the mindset, if you can't beat them, join them. That's Satan's game. It's not God's game. God's already defeated them. He's already beaten them, yes? Well, let's stick with him then. Because joining them would be disobedient and you won't please God at all. And you will never advance the kingdom of God. But it will hurt it if you do. So the question is, what will you do? The church that God desires, friends, no matter how we build it, begins with Him being our first love. Otherwise, we're not building His church. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great, biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.